Hello and welcome to Jag Bags, a discussion of all things pop culture. I'm Mike Beyer. And I'm Len Foote. Welcome to the program. You are listening live from the home studios in Woodridge, Illinois, where the stakes have never been higher. Because tonight we have a true expert on our subject at hand, which is the work, the fictional work of the one and only Stephen King. And we have called in the big guns. To He's actually done a couple of nonfiction things too, Eve. We're talking about the fiction of Stephen King uh, tonight, Len. No, we can talk nonfiction too. Our expert can cover that as well. Uh, he is also a playwright and ensemble member at the Factory Theater and a uh, pop culture expert in his own right. He's probably uh, equal or surpassing the two of us combined. Anyway, we're very lucky to have him. Welcoming Colin Milroy to the podcast. Colin, welcome. Thank you very, very much. Hello, gentlemen. It's good to see you. Um, is now a bad time to mention that all the stuff I said I knew about Stephen King on Facebook was a lie? <laughs> well, hopefully your improv skills oh, okay. are uh, up to snuff. I will try. Actually, no, I, I, you're, you're kind to call me uh, uh, what you call me. Um, and uh, yes, I'm excited to talk about Stephen King because I love his work and uh, I, I, I'm looking forward to talking to it with you two fellas. And I promise to not call you a suckle horse tonight because you are a guest of Jag Bags and Thank Eve you. and I have impeccable manners and are gentlemen. Yes. Thank you. Uh, if you must, you may use the words expert suckle horse if you wish. <laughs> you are an expert suckle horse. I try. Alan E.S. Milroy. <laughs> We've received very few guest complaints um, over uh, the months that we've been doing Jag Bags. We really don't have very many guests. Oaken was on talking Zeppelin, speaking of yes. expertise. Sully was on too, wasn't she? No. Right? no. You would never have Sully on. Never Sully? Okay. <laughs> no. All right. Well, I know Kirk was Kirk. on. And Kirk was on. Kirk was yeah. on. Yep. What's so you're the third factory theater person. Excellent. I'm honored. Should be good. And we also tapped you for your sports expertise as well. I love talking sports. As uh, we enjoy talking um, the week that was in the various leagues around the country. Tonight, we'll talk a little uh, MLB. We'll talk a little NBA playoffs. We're going to table our discussion of Rolling Stone's greatest 500 greatest albums of all time because we want to keep our mm. guest awake. I listened uh, to 11, by the way. Yeah. I listened to three. I was all proud of myself. <gasps> oh my gosh. I know. Len just picked up his, uh, he just fainted. <laughs> That'll be a good, another good one to have Oaken on. He went, okay. <laughs> we don't dare discuss albums in front of Oaken because <laughs> he is correct. Zeppelin was rough enough. He was done with us. Oh, he was just shaking his head at us. We're like, all right, time to end it. We'd say something and he'd be like, oh, oh, is that right? Oh, is that your little opinion? I see you don't like the blues. Uh, he was uh, he was kind to us. So we'll talk those sports and then we'll get right into the meat of the podcast. Bloody meat. Uh, which is Stephen King. So uh, let's get into it. First of all, uh, the week that was in Major League Baseball. Let's talk a little Chicago Cubs. They uh, took on the evil Cardinals and came away very well. 
Uh, what were your thoughts? What were your thoughts coming out of that series? Glorious. Yeah. I was wondering if uh, Len was going to uh, post an official Cubs fever post <laughs> after the Cardinals series because um, it, it was a bit of a rough start to the season. It's kind of been up and down, but then they swept the Dodgers, which was a total shock. Um, and then, and then they be, you know, they've been winning series like several, this is their, I think their fourth series winning in a row. And they went into shit Lewis and, and beat them two of three. And uh, I'm like, Hmm, this is feeling like some uh, fever a little bit. Yeah. I probably should have written Cubs fever and what was great. And I wrote this on Facebook, but what was great yesterday was they, they should have lost that game. Yeah. Wainwright had a shutdown. The ump was horrendous. We had based the, Cardinals had bases loaded, no outs, didn't score. We had to get four outs to get out of that inning because Bodie, he tagged the base and tagged the guy and it called him safe. And I was like, all this stuff went against us and we still won. It was, was, game. It was so great. I was so happy when we won. Yeah. What's, uh, what's our thoughts on David Bodie? Uh, there's been uh, some uh, rumblings about is, him. Is John Kuchai a regular listener of this podcast? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, who cares? I, I, Rip them. <laughs> Rip them. Let well, them have it. David Bodie is an extremely likable guy. He has a lot of skills because he can play multiple positions. He has had some big hits in clutch situations, like many, many times over. Um, he's got an affordable contract. He took a nice little deal. He's like, you know he's a good story because he he's just he was a guy and he and he made it the majors and he did well for himself, but you know he right now he he looks like a like a, a high triple A guy. I mean he's good, but he's still I, I think he's still hitting under two hundred. Yeah, he's a, um, he's a I think he's a bench guy because he's a great yeah. bench hitter. He's a perfect bench guy. Like like what you just said, he plays a lot of positions. He can get a clutch hit, which is what you need from a pinch hitter. But he just never gets it done as a regular. And you got Nico. So Nico. Wow. That guy. He's been he's, fantastic. It's like he's, you play Nico every day. Bodie can be a backup spot starter. He can fill in wherever you need him. Put a late, Duffy, a late Duffy inning in the lineup every day in Horner and just have Bodie be your backup, you know, who gets uh, more playing time than a normal backup. Yeah, he's a super sub guy and he, he doesn't appear to feel pressure in the late innings. So yeah. He can, you know, he could, he's good enough to be a defensive replacement, but yeah, like in terms of hitting Nico Horner is far better. And yeah, Nico needs to be an everyday guy. He's, he's more than proved that he's awesome. Yeah. Every, every time Horner bats, I'm like, I think he's going to get a hit. He just, yeah. He's, he's got a good batting eye and he doesn't seem fooled by anything. I really, and his defense, his plays he made yesterday, I mean, terrific plays yesterday. Yeah. I, I think there may be a knock on him because he doesn't hit a lot of home runs, but who gives a shit? You know, he gets a lot of hits. He gets and, a lot know, of hits, and he's, he's great in defense. I'll take that. Yeah, and, and you know, if this is a dead ball era, like everybody says, and everybody's trying to win the game with home runs, it's just not going to work. Um, and the I really think the Cubs, like, started winning all their series in a row when they just did hitting. They weren't trying to hit a zillion home runs. They just, you know, kept the line moving, like they said back in the day. Yeah, and the underrated thing about this season is they got guys like Duffy, Sogar, and even Horner, yeah. who are guys who just hit the ball all the time. So it's not just all these guys going up there trying to hit homers. And right. even uh, Baez has gotten his average back up after a really rough start and Rizzo. And now we're, we're doing pretty well at the plate. And Hendricks, yeah. Davies, they've kind of straightened themselves out the past few starts too. So it's looking, it's looking good. 
it, yeah, things are definitely uh, on the upswing for the Cubs. And uh, it's, it's exciting because I, I wasn't expecting a whole lot out of this season because it's like, well, they're kind of doing it on the cheap and they're sort of, it's, it kind of feels like they're sort of cobbling it together. And there was all this talk of trading Rizzo and Bryant and Baez. Um, so it's like, oh, this could just be the last run. But they're starting to show a lot of life lately. So, I mean, they might still sell it all off, but um, I would hope not. And they're making it exciting. So. Barring a collapse, I don't think they're going to do that because it's yeah. already almost the end of May. <laughs> if they went on like a 10 game losing streak, maybe, but I think they'll still be in it at the all-star break. I think Great. so with, especially with this division, because the Cubs are now in second place, they moved closer to St. Louis. You know, they've got the pirates and then they've got uh, Cincinnati. Then they've got a tough stretch where they do Padres, giants, Padres, again, Cardinals, Mets. That's a that's a gone. That's a rough. That's a rough schedule. If they come out of that and they're within striking distance, then you you know you have to. But the thing is, and then you have to make some decisions. The thing is that that division is not that. I mean, the Reds are not that. Don't have that great of a record. Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, and even the Cardinals are coming back to earth. So you got to feel like they'll still be in it, even if they kind of are middling against this next run of of teams. The big upper echelon teams. Right. I mean, oh, the Padres are white hot. They're crazy. The Giants are coming back to earth. The Reds seem to always give the Cubs trouble. You know, my little thing, though, is about this year, though, is last year, every team mainly played teams in their division. So it's almost refreshing to play a team that's not in your division. Cubs swept the Dodgers. They swept the Mets. Those were two teams I don't even think they played last year. Instead of these teams they they played a million times that know everything you do. They know everything your hitters do. And they go out and, you know, like the Nationals beat them three out of four. And I know the Nationals aren't good, but it was like a a different team to play instead of playing the Brewers 20 times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I I remember right before the Dodgers series, I was listening to sports radio and, um, and, and, it was looking bad because um, I think that was the day they put Nico Horner and Jake Arrieta. They put several players on the disabled list that day. And then Clayton Kershaw was pitching that night and Kyle Hendricks had been getting beat around all over the place. And, uh, and, and I meant the people on sports were saying, all right, how, how about a little bit more misery for you now? And they list all the injured players and they're like, okay, now we got Kershaw. And then we got um, the Cleveland guy who used to be the weirdo Cleveland guy. Bauer. Uh, Bauer, thank you. Beavs hero, Trevor Bauer. Yes, the <laughs> drone man, Trumper man. Yeah, exactly. Beavs is like, flying a drone as we do this podcast. Yes. I so do that every I do that every week. Yes. Gotta have a Cleveland. Gotta have a Cleveland flag somewhere. Yes. So it was Kershaw, Bauer, and then um, Bueller, I think. Like So the, the top three in the Dodgers loaded rotation, a bunch of Cubs are hurt. Kyle Hendricks is bad. It's like, oh, God. And I remember just thinking um, – it, it was one of those things like, oh, shit, you know, we're, we're, we're toast, we're screwed. Oh, well, maybe it'll be fun later. Then they not Ker- they give Kershaw the shortest start of his career. They just whack him out. That's that the Joe Buck curse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Joe, Joe Buck was crying softly into his pillow uh, after the first In his bathtub. In say. the nude. <laughs> In the nude. Um, and, and so they and just clobber Kershaw. Uh, Kyle pitches great. Then Trevor Barrett pitches really well. But then they, they win that game, too. Um, and then they, and they, and then they just, they took care of business and it was weird to see that just because I remember all throughout 2016, um, when I, I 
worked at Wrigley Field um, uh, while the Cubs were having their um, their World Series year, there was always this feeling throughout the whole year of just like, oh God, it's all gonna it's all gonna come crashing down. Our hearts are gonna be broken. Our souls are gonna be crushed, like they have been all the time. And uh, and I, all throughout the year, I was trying to be, you know, it was my job to be Mr. Cheerleader uh, at Wrigley, but I kind of but. I didn't have to bullshit because I remember thinking like, this is a really good team. And it turned out they were. So winning the Dodgers series and then these a series following it, this is, I'm starting to get a little bit of that feeling again. It's like, okay, well, maybe I don't have reason to doubt. Maybe, you know, I'm, they're, they're nowhere near as good as they were in 2016, but it's like, well, something's going on here. I think there are some similarities because Chris Bryant is playing like an MVP this year. Oh my God. Big, yeah. Which is a big surprise. Mm-hmm. I didn't think you would be that good again, but he's been great this year. There are certain mm-hmm. there are certain uh, aspects to like a team that you know when uh, that gives you that feeling, Colin, that you were talking about, like like when they sweep a top tier team. Yeah, just any sweep is good. Yeah, it um, wasn't just luck. They beat them. You know, it's three games and they beat them every game. Right, and then a game where they like pull out some late inning magic. That's always a good sign, a very good mm-hmm. sign. Because you have to have those, and it's easy to quit if you're down in the eighth and ninth. And the teams that seem to make a habit of comebacks are the teams that seem to be very successful and have a good season. There's a definite resiliency this year that I have not felt um, recently. To, to, you know, this Cubs team seems to be much more resilient, and that, that's given me given me some faith for sure. Yeah, with the injuries, with the bad pitching, uh, with the awful first two weeks of getting no hits, and we're in second place somehow. Yeah, yeah, and and, and like, when, when was the last time like we had a bullpen that was this dominant? You know, after this whole stretch, it's just been crazy. And there there've been injuries in the bullpen too, and they're still like so now now uh, what's his face? Uh, Trevor Williams and uh, Zach Davies, like they, they, they only go like four or five in each start. And normally that would be a total disaster. You're like, Oh God, we're screwed. We're going to overtax our bullpen. It's that, but David Ross doesn't seem to care. He, he yanks him out um, and just gets four or five innings. If he has to out of his bullpen, whenever he needs to, and it's working really well. Who's been your uh, surprise uh, player of the season so far? The, mm. the player that surprised you the most for better or worse. Well, for worse would definitely be Kyle Hendricks um, because he's, he's my guy. He like, he said hi to me at the Cubs convention. <laughs> you know, like I, I told you all that. Like, he was nice. And you I, fight over him. Yes. Yeah. Cause he's my him. favorite player in the Cubs too. He's yeah. He's, I love him because he's very unassuming. He's not physically dominant, but he's incredibly effective as a pitcher and he's just smart. I love him to death. And he's nice. Kyle, Kyle did text me and say Len was a little clingy. <laughs> he, uh, he does prefer Colin. Oh. Text him back and say, I'm sorry. I've walked past his house so many times. <laughs> Do that. Um, yeah. So, so he, he, he had a really bad stretch for a while and it seemed like, uh, you know, he, he, he was the pitcher. Everybody thought that he was going to be, you know, this soft throwing guy. It was easy to just, clobber but so he was like that for he was kind of a surprise that he was doing so badly but in true fashion he seems to be figuring it out and outsmarting his the competition now so biggest surprise um in a positive sense i i i i I gotta say the bullpen because i i mean i can't nail down anybody specifically i mean kimbrell is supposed to be this good he was kind of crappy for a year and a half uh and then he started getting really good again last 
August or so, but he's supposed to be this good. So that's fine. But all the other guys, like Tapera, um, and and uh, and everybody else, like I've lost Winkler, Winkler, Winkler. They're making him yeah. a setup guy, and he's been great. Yeah, the, these guys who and a couple more rookies. Justin Steele's a rookie. Uh, I forget who the other one is, but Thompson. They, yeah, there, there's and, all these guys you've never heard of, and yeah. and and normally that's disastrous. That they just get they they put up a 12 ERA and they're sent back to triple A or double A or whatever. But they, they're they're the everybody in the whole bullpen is doing really well uh as a unit. So I've got to say that's my uh, most pleasant surprise. Yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of how bullpens are though. It's sometimes it's just a roll of the dice and you get lucky with guys like that. Mm-hmm. Like uh Brian Dunsing from years ago, who had one incredible year and then wasn't good anymore after that. And yeah, and then his arm turned to powder. Yeah. That's the thing with like with bullpens, you know, you can like ground it, you know, ride a guy into the ground because you just keep running him out there every night. I think that's what happens for Mills, one cause, inning. Because Mills got hurt. And I, I, he, his, they're just running him out and he'd pitch multi, some games, he'd pitch three or four innings, some innings he'd go in for like one inning. That's not good for your arm. They're that kind of weird. Uh, he had no routine at all, and he's used to being a starter. I think that's why he got hurt. Probably right. Um, Should we talk about Beeves' team now? Since we talked about the Cubs, <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the. Let's Cubs, talk about Indians, my team. A little bit of White Sox. Uh, the uh, the Indians had a glorious chance to overtake the White Sox, and the stupid Twins uh, beat them two out of three. And happy uh, Twins. And the Indians lost their number two hitter, one of the few guys who was hitting worth a damn. So now it's just a mirror. <laughs> Fran Meal, the giant Reyes. Oh, the giant guy got hurt? What what happened? Uh strained abdomen or oh, these guys okay. well, swings pro- these guys swing so hard. Yeah. And uh and they hurt themselves swinging a bat. I just don't so get it. it. Now it's just Ramirez, right? He's the only guy left who can hit. I mean, that it really is. The Rosario, yeah. they got Eddie Rosario from the twins, and uh he's a pretty good hitter, but he's off to a very slow start. They gotta have him. Ramirez, speaking of MVP level, I mean, he's... That guy can still hit. He's swatting the ball. But uh, their their lineup is anemic, and uh, and their pitching is now become a little suspect. Their bullpen's pretty good, too, but they're leaning on these two guys, uh, Karinchak and Clays. And they just... Francona just keeps running these guys out because they're great. And uh, But uh, how much longer can that continue? He, he doesn't have anybody else, I'm assuming. He's got guys... He's got guys, and the thing that I like about Francona is that he puts guys in kind of like, he'll he'll put a guy in for the sixth and be like, you know, how much damage can you do in the sixth? And uh, <laughs> it's a guy I've never heard of. And, uh, and uh, but it's, if he does well, that's a confidence boost. And, uh, and if he does poorly, well, you know, it doesn't, I like Sick. the way he handles a, a staff. Um, so it's miraculous that they're in second place, to be honest. Well, Shane they Bieber is, If they would have won yesterday, they'd be half a game behind the White Sox. I know. They lost, wow. an, extra, they lost an extra innings. I know. Wow, they I were, didn't realize they were that close. Yeah, were right the White there Sox the, got swept by the Yankees and the mm-hmm. White Sox. You see, the White Sox, they're so cocky. They're like talking about the playoffs. They're like, oh, this is going to be a playoffs preview against the Yankees. I'm like, do you guys know it's May, right? <laughs> they... they <laughs> If this wasn't Two of your like best a- players are out. It's like they're so cocky, and their manager is ninety-five years old, and and he's dumb. still complaining about hitting a home run off a position player. It's just bizarre. Their clubhouse is insane. Well, they, 
He's they been have, taking a beating. Larusa well, has just been deservedly. It's, it's like let's let's <laughs> let, let's let's have a dottery old dinosaur fossil come and breathe some dust on the young team that's like full of excitement and and uh, and, and 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 enjoying the game. And you know, Grandpa, great 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 Grandpa Larusa is like, you respect the game, you, and just like throws shit all over everything and makes it miserable. Um, but gonna the, send but, you a telegram warning <laughs> your name. When I was uh, not a major league baseball player, I <laughs> used to walk five miles a day to spring training. <laughs> we used to have aluminum bats that were spiked with nails. Um, Try to keep stats Astro- with an abacus. Something called AstroTurf. <laughs> I, I, the, the mound it was so low that you had to jump in the air when you threw. So I, it, I just think they got to be careful about being too overconfident. The White Sox—they well, have the talent, but that, see, the thing is, um, in their their offense is great. Even even though you got um, Luis Robert and um, the former Cub guy—I've lost his name—Eloy um, Jimenez. Thank you. Uh, two really good players. Or, who are hurt, and the offense is still really, really good. And and so, Angle, who's a good player, has been out right. Too. So the thing I, I lo- the thing I like about the Sacks is that kind of like the Cubs, they just they just keep the line moving. It's a bunch of just guys that are hitting for average. They're running. Um, it's very unusual, kind of old school, as befitting their ancient manager. But I mean, so far it's working. <laughs> he he's like uh, the the caveman version of old school yeah um like drawing paintings on the wall and there's the lineup now go kill me some meat um but so, so that yeah you're right that like like the cubs kind of used it were in 2016 they just they're just effective hitters and runners and they take walks and they're playing offense really well and you have uh good some you know dallas keichel still good and um, there, there's a lot of strength throughout the team. So, um, I don't blame them for being a little cocky because they, they were built very slowly and deliberately, uh, by Rick Hahn, who I think is really intelligent. And, you know, he made a bunch of really good trades and, you know, and now they're all still young, but they're looking good. Um, then they had the weird hire where Jerry, Jerry Reinsdorf was like, hold on, I'm going to fuck it all up. Right now, with Captain Dinosaur manager, <laughs> Captain I, Dinosaur. Yeah, it, we're hiring Connie Mack as our manager. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it is no longer 2021; it is now 1982, and is we're going to build Vec around <laughs> to help us. So yeah, I I don't understand, like, because Ricky Renteria got tossed, you know, because he's not. I don't know why. Like, like he, he wasn't allowing them to get to the next level or something. So I was thinking about Renteria the other day. I'm like, any team guys. that's got a young on the rise team is going to hire him and then fire him when they think they're going to win. Right. <laughs> this like, guy like, just has to put up with bonehead mistakes by young kids. Yeah. And they and get then fired. Gets yeah. rewarded by getting fired the year before they get really good. Right. But, but with the Cubs, it sort of made sense because Joe Madden was, you know, I hope Brian Sadorf doesn't listen to this podcast regularly either. But uh, Joe Madden was like another step up. It's like Ricky Renteria was kind of the training wheels. 
and he was good, but like next level guy with Joe Madden. Um, Tony LaRusso feels like a step down. Like if, if this was 2010 and it was Tony LaRusso, it's like, okay, fine. You know, uh, he'll inject some steroids into people's asses and they'll be great. But this is like 2020, this is like almost dead Tony LaRusso, you know, and it's, and he's just a, a horrible weight. So, but there's, they're winning. You know what? I can't, I can't, you know, say they're not winning because they are. Um, I just don't know. I will, we'll, we'll see if maybe they're too cocky or maybe captain manager dinosaur just screws it up somehow. Uh, right now they're playing St. Louis and there's no score in the fourth. Yeah. Mm. And the win. Even should we, uh, should, Cardinals. yeah. Cardinals should be reeling from their devastating loss. We need the Cardinals to come back angry and defeat the Sox because the tribe is up six, three on Detroit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> intrigue. Let's move on. Intrigue on the Jag Bags podcast. Right. Should we move on? Should we move on to the NBA? Speaking of intrigue. Yeah. How about we just do some quick takes on all of the series? That sounds good. Let's start. start. With, oh, go ahead. I was going to say ahead. start with Beeb's favorite player, LeBron, and the Lakers' sons. Uh, should I go first? Yeah, go ahead. Please, yeah. I'm going to say the Lakers find a way. Um, mm. I just think they're good on defense, and I think they have more experience than Phoenix. And especially if, if Chris Paul is hurt, that's a big advantage. Yeah, I, I think so, too. If Chris Paul's not effective they lose but if chris paul's okay it, the, the thing that's weird about the suns is uh booker's a really good player but he's had a lot of he's had some erratic shooting games this year that's that was i that was i uh what i thought their flaw was going into the playoffs and he's like their best scorer so he's not going to stop shooting even if he's you know six for 20 or something right that was my worry with them and i want the lakers to lose and right I'm not, I don't, I don't dislike LeBron. I usually like LeBron, but lately with his pretending he's hurt and it just some of the stuff he does now, I'm just like, uh, he kind of just making me shake my head at him. So, and they won last year. So I'm hoping to, I'm hoping the Suns can beat them. I, who do you, who are you, are you picking Phoenix then? You expect Phoenix to win? No, I think the, I, I think the Lakers will win. I don't want the Lakers to win, but I think the Lakers I see. will win. Yeah. What about I, you, uh, Colin? So I, I, I would think that, the, that Phoenix should win, especially if Chris Paul is healthy, um, because he just, he guides them and, and um, he's, you know, he's their leader and he gets it all done. And he's so smart and good at what he does. Um, but it's never a good idea to bet against LeBron. It's still, you know, I mean, he, I, I mean, I, I kind of think Phoenix should win. Um, but I mean, LeBron, LeBron used to play these on these horrendously bad teams with crap players like Matthew Dellavedova and would win <laughs> like championship. The great three-point shooting Matthew Dellavedova. <laughs> We're right. getting an angry fax from Kirk Pynchon <laughs> <laughs> right now. Yeah. So, so you know, he, he, he has the ability to just win when he needs to. Um, he might be, if, if he's hurt though, which maybe, maybe not, um, so I, I'm going against my gut because, uh, my gut says Phoenix is going to win, but I'm actually going to pick the Lakers to win. I would kind of like Phoenix to win too, but I think the Lakers are going to find a way. Another, another factor in that series is Anthony Davis looks hobbled. So I don't know. 
Right. That might affect yeah. it too, if he's not 100%. Yeah. What about the Blazers and the Nuggets? That is a tough one to pick. Oh, it's hard. I, I'll I, start. I'll start. But, I think I think the Blazers win. Because look at that. I don't like that tone of confidence in your voice. <laughs> Who's like, cocky all this stuff? Like you know something. Oh, I do know something. It's oh. the Nuggets don't have Murray. And no. the bubble playoffs last year, which I loved, I thought that was the greatest. Murray was amazing, and they don't have him. And Jokic, Jokic was probably the best player in the league this year, but I don't think he has enough. And I think the Blazers with Lillard and CJ and, and Carmelo Anthony even had a great game for them in game one. I, I think they'll beat the Nuggets. The, uh, the Nuggets have um, – they really – they have Michael Porter Jr. and they got uh, – what's his name from Orlando? Um, uh, Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's – I don't think – I think this is his first ever playoff, so – He's a good player, but he's never quite, you know, uh, got, got been with a good team, I don't think. And he's never and been like, yeah. Porter Jr. is a talented guy, but he's another guy who's not, he's not consistent every game. Right. Right. I, you know, I, I love Jokic. Like, just he, he, the way he passes the ball, like, a guy his size should not be able to pass the ball as well as he does. He's amazing. So it's, awesome. It, it's I, I love watching him, um, but you know he, he's he's a guy like Murray was was great to have there because he's a perfect complement. You know they they could they could beat you all over the floor with with, uh, with the, the two of them and and yeah the Nuggets still have a lot of good players and I, I love Jokic but you know Damian Lillard has got a killer streak to him now in the playoffs and CJ McCollum is really good and it's another one like I. I would think that the Nuggets would win, um, but no, I, 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 I agree. I think the Trailblazers are, are going are gonna to stick it to them. I'm going to be the contrarian. <laughs> you? He and said with not much confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with Denver. I think Jokic uh, elevates his uh, team and uh, finds a way. Plus, uh, Portland has Carmelo Anthony, which negates all good Damian Lillard. We should we should bet on that one, Beef. Uh, okay, Pib versus Crystal Light. I love it. On. Okay. Next one is uh, Grizzlies and the Jazz. Oh, now I'm rooting for Memphis. But that I was think, a weird upset. But I think Utah time. wins. If Donovan Mitchell comes, Donovan Mitchell's supposed to be back. I think next game. He wanted to play in game one. Yeah. And that was a good game. Did you guys see any of that last night? Yeah, it was a good game. Did not, unfortunately. Uh, Basically, the Grizzlies were up double digits and the Jazz just came back. Uh, Who's the guy? Is Bogdanovich? Is that his name? Yeah, Bogdan. Yeah. He he almost got the game back for them, he was hitting everything. And he very uh, nearly stole that game. Almost got it. Yeah. If Mitchell's okay, I think I think they come back and win. Even though John Morant, he's he's impressive. I love Yeah, him. he's good. He gets the he gets the basket so quick and his touch close in is it's incredible. He he was really impressive last night. Another guy I like on Memphis is uh, Brooks. Yeah, he played great too last he's, night. He's tough. I like him. Yeah, yeah, up and coming team Memphis, but I I, I 
I mean, I don't think Utah is going to win the title because they're sort of like Milwaukee in that they have a really good overall team, but they, they don't have anybody who's like just totally dominant. You know, they're really good as a team, but that doesn't seem to win championships. But this is definitely good enough to beat Memphis, I would say. Well, Mitchell Mitchell had some really good games in the bubble last year, but they lost to the Nuggets, even with Mitchell right. playing out of his mind. So, yep. that's, I mean, there's so many teams like that that are really good, but they got that mental hump to get over. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of that, that takes- picture. So, like, let's say the Lakers actually lose in the first round, and then and it's, it's going to be wide open. I think there's a lot of teams that can take it if the Lakers get knocked out right away. I feel like this whole um... – the the whole playoffs are wide open. There are like five or six teams that you could say have a realistic shot of winning it all. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and uh, the Mavs Clippers one that I think will be a great series too. I know there's some bad blood between them. <laughs> yeah. Love it and some great players. I mean Doncic's insanely good. That, that guy. Oof. I think it's up to Paul George in that one. Yeah. That- he he's another guy who he's a I mean he's he's good. There's no denying Paul George is a really good player, but he's been kind of inconsistent a little bit. He was bad last year in the playoffs. He blew yeah. it for him. He, he, he did really awful. Did. Yeah, he was awful. If he so, plays, if he plays at his regular season level, the Clippers could go pretty far. I agree. What who do you think wins that series though? I don't know. That's I'm still going to go with the Clippers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I got to go with the Clippers too, even though. Um, They're the Clippers. Uh, Doncic, <laughs> yeah. He, he's, I mean, Doncic, he's, he, I didn't see that one. There was, they called it like the Doncic game uh, last play, last year's playoffs where he just like, I think they lost the game and he scored it because he had like a seminal playoff game or something like that. But it's not quite enough because you just, I mean, yeah, there's there's too much for the Clippers there. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Kawhi's gonna let them lose again. No, D- I Dallas could be a close series though. I think Doncic's good enough to make. Yeah, it I could see four two, four three. Yeah, four two or four three. Um, but Dallas needs one more really really good guy, and then like they're gonna be tough to beat because Doncic himself is really good. Yep. And then the Eastern Conference. A Bucks Heat rematch. I actually, I, I really like uh, Janice, so I hope he wins because he seems like a good guy. But he's another one; he just hasn't gotten it done. He, he's the, the thing with him is he, he's another guy. He's a, he's a seven footer and he moves like a point guard. Like yeah. he just—it's unbelievable what he can do. But he doesn't, you know. So so. He, he, he can do these incredible things around the basket, but he's, he's a, as a jump shooter, he's kind of so, 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 uh, like the, 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 the heat, uh, are smart enough. They may not be as good as last year, but they know that you just, you just crowd, crowd the paint. And then he, and, and if you turn him into a jump shooter, he's nowhere near as effective and they got a, some other good players around there, but I, 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 I like Giannis also. He's really he's just insanely athletic and can do amazing things. But if if the if it there seems like there could there's a defensive game plan that can negate them. Maybe. And if that if that works, then they're another team. I, I don't 
I don't see them winning the championship. They're really, really good, but I don't see them winning the championship. I right. think they will beat the Bucks, though. Or the Heat, excuse me. They, they'll. I think they'll beat the Heat, despite you know, Superman, uh, the, <laughs> Jimmy Butler, Jimmy Buckets. Who, yeah, uh, the first always... game was pretty interesting because Giannis, yeah. Jimmy Butler, and uh, Bam, they all had terrible games. Yeah. And the Bucks pulled it out because Middleton had a, a big shot in overtime. So that was a close game. The Bucks are ab- They're up uh, thirty. Right now, good. I, I really, I really want the Bucks, Bucks to win that series. And I like Jimmy Butler, but I just, I'm, I'm rooting for Giannis this year. You yeah, Jimmy. Like, you don't Jimmy like uh, Pat Riley or something? No, I just, I mean, the Heat, the Heat overachieved last year. They had their chance. Let the Bucks get a shot this year. I mean, so, the Bucks have the talent to um, get there because they, I mean. Middleton's an all-star. Rick Lopez is really good. Uh, oh, they have Def Holiday. Holiday is all-star level too. Yeah. So maybe that game one, you know, willing themselves getting that tight win in overtime, maybe that relaxes them, and that's why they're playing so well tonight. I, Mike, Mike Budenholzer's head may roll if uh, they don't <laughs> get there. And then they'll hire Tony LaRue. Budenholzer's head for Budenholzer. Budenholzer must go. <laughs> Roll his head. So we all think the Bucks are going to win? Or? Yeah, Bucks. I'm picking Milwaukee, yes. Yeah. What about 76ers-Wizards? Did the Wizards have a chance? No. No. <laughs> I, I, I mean, Bradley Beal is a great scorer. Um, and then uh, uh, Russell Westbrook is... is Playing really hard, but they're they're just they're they're lucky they're even here. Um, and and I the only danger is that Philadelphia is gonna get lazy or something because they they have the better players, they have the better everything. Um, but you know, Wizards played really well last game and and made them work. So I mean, the 76ers can't coast, but they they, they should at at, yeah. at at worst they should win this four two the series. Well, what happened in game one was Westbrook and Beal both had like six turnovers. That kind of killed them. Yeah, they competed and everything, but, you know, they're going to have to play – those two at least are going to have to play near perfect if they're going to pull off the upset. And I don't think – I don't think that's going to happen. Westbrook takes he's, – he's a great player, but he takes too many chances. I mean, they, and they don't have enough guys to help him and Beal out. And Beal is – I don't think he's still 100% because he was, he was really uh, – struggling the last two games of the regular season. He just played because he wanted to make sure they got in the playoffs. I, I thought they did pretty well just to make it to the playoffs. And yeah, it was, it was amazing because their record was really bad. And then just they were horrible. started winning every game. <clears throat> they definitely got hot down the stretch. No doubt about it. It was a great story. Um, yeah. I just think if there's only, you know, Beal and, um, I just think that Beal and Westbrook can only take you so far, you know, before you have to start relying on guys like Davis Bertans. Well, even or, that guy, he had a decent game, and they still didn't win. He made four threes in game one. Alex Len. Well, Len is always impressive. So. Always. Always, yes. Len. <laughs> Get the ball to Len. <laughs> He's no yes. Timothy... 
He's no Timothy Moskov. Somebody listens to that. Oh, no one is Timothy Moskov. He's not Moskov, but he's as close as you can get. He's the venture version of Timothy Moskov. <laughs> well, what, let's move on to the uh, burner phone beard flat earth series. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Nets and Celtics, I think. Yep. Okay. So uh, you talk love... about you talk about the Nets because uh, Kyrie, your 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 weird guy, is there. <laughs> Kyrie Irving is a treasure, whom I will always love, and therefore uh, he will uh, <laughs> he will always hold a special place in my heart. And uh, I think the Nets will have no problems with the actually <laughs> being the Nets. These guys are so just like these. This is like the crazy super drama team. Yeah, so I expect the Celtics to win one, maybe two games before. I think Tatum's good for a win. Brooklyn takes him out. Tatum's amazing. Tatum will have one great game, so Celtics will get at least one win. Yeah. Brooklyn's just too strong. But the Nets, I mean, it's going to be great when the Nets, like a, the second round or if they make the conference finals, those, those series are going to be nuts. I know. With all the drama with the Nets. I, I can't yeah, wait. There's so much drama because you've got Kyrie being weird. <laughs> and then and, and he and he had to like leave. He'll he, he's he's a guy who'll just like leave for for a couple weeks, and, and he won't tell you why. And it's awesome. it, I it could be perfectly legitimate. I mean, it, it could be something serious that's going on, but it seems to happen a lot with him, you know. Uh, but then but then you've got Kevin Durant, and um and they and they like and everybody who whose contract got bought out this year like went to the Nets, you know. So. Blake Griffin, um, like Blake Griffin, um, Jeff Green is on there. Um, oh, the great and Jeff Green, the great Jeff Green. The you know what though? Jeff Green has been in the league a long time. He, I love Jeff Green, and he's solid he's, every year. You got to give the him guy, some respect. He's 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 that guy who like if a team's in the finals or or in the conference finals, you're like, and now Jeff Green coming. Like Jeff Green's on this team too. Yeah. You know, he, he's just always on a good team. It seems like. Never the same team, but always on a good team. Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, Brooklyn's got a whole ton of depth now. Um, Joe Harris is a great shooter. Joe Harris is good, you know. Um, and you know, and but yeah, it's will will the drama undo them uh, later? <laughs> That's why. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. Mm. So so would they? I, I don't have the seating. Um, who if they win, they're going to play the they Hawks would, Heat. Is that right? No, they play the no, they play Hawks the, Knicks. They no, I think the Hawks and Knicks are four or five, so they would play okay. They would play 76ers. The, the Ooh, Nats will play the probably the Bucks if if it goes how we think it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it would be two versus three. Yeah. Right. Mm. And the the uh, Hawks Knicks so we have next the, on the list, yeah. The biggest surprise team in basketball, our old friend Tom Thibodeau. Yeah. <laughs> Taking revenge on all haters. Derek yes. Rose, Taj Gibson. Get, got, got, Bobby got, Portis. Got, got, got his, his guys who want to play defense there. Uh, and he's screaming and browbeating everybody into playing defense, and it's working. Well, honestly, I think the Knicks, the most important thing for them was Randall turning into an all-star. He's that the, he's the, the, that's, that's what came out of nowhere. Because Randall was like a talented guy, but they no, 
no one was expecting him to play this well. Th- this yeah. is Tom Thibodeau's Derrick Rose 2.0 is Randall. He's just like going to make himself great. And, and, and there he did. But, you know, you got to give credit to Derrick Rose because I thought I thought his body was ending his career. How many years ago? I, I don't know how he's still playing he, even with he just wrecked two wrecks knees. Yeah, um, but he's got he's got something. Yep. Yeah, you so, know, but uh, Trey, Trey Young is good. I mean, I, I know that like he, he, you know, people. I I kind of loved him shushing the garden, you know, because <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I know the Knicks are great, but you know, you kind of st- still got that kind of oh fuck the Knicks thing from like the '90s Bulls Knicks series, you know. It's like. And, and, you know, and Trey, I think Trey Young and uh, Luka Doncic were traded for each other on draft night. And, yes. and, and, and then there's, there's the whole debate of just like, well, who won that trade? And Luka Doncic has been getting all the attention, but Trey Young is really good. And yes. that was a beautiful runner uh, that was the winner. And like, yes. So I like Tom Thibodeau a lot. I still don't like the Knicks. Um, but in turn, I don't know who do who do you guys think is going to win that series? I think that's going to be a great series. I think Atlanta will win because it they they have the superstar in in Trey Young. Like Young is a special guy, and I don't know that the Knicks have that a guy on Trey Young's level. Um, so that's but I think it's going to go seven games. I think it, yeah, I think it's going to be a fun one. I don't know about – see, the thing about Young is he's another guy, though, who's going to shoot 30 shots a game no matter what, too. So that that might hurt them, too. That could be their undoing if if he has a couple games like that and they lose those games because that's just how he plays. He's never he plays be, like Ben Gordon? Uh, excuse me. <laughs> Beavs, Len, stop, put, stop. Len put, the, put the gun down. Put the gun. Stop the recording. Put the gun away. Stop there's the no, recording of the no podcast. Need right to, <laughs> there's no need to. Uh, for sorry, sorry. I, I, that, that was uncalled for. I apologize. There's certain lines we don't cross here at Jackpacks. <laughs> sorry. I learned that the hard way. And, uh, and you, what, you, make, you, you make a good point. But a guy like Randall, this is probably his first spotlight series. And he's their best. He's been their best player this year. So is he going to step up, or is the pressure going to get to him? Because if the pressure gets to him and he doesn't play well, then then the Hawks could win going away. But I, think, I have a feeling. I have a feeling they'll uh, right the ship, and it'll be a really tough series. But I, I honestly, I'm not sure who's going to win this one. I think it's a toss up. Yeah, this is my favorite series matchup of all of the first round. It's it's such a toss up. Yeah, it could really go either way. Um, I, I'm going to say Atlanta wins because they they uh, they've already they've already got they took home home court advantage away last night. So I, I think I, and I'm I'm trying to see like who else they got. Um, Atlanta. Clint, yeah, they got Clint Capella, who's uh, very yeah, he's good. Led the okay. league in rebounding, I think. Yeah, yeah, sure did. Collins, they've got Collins. He's good. I, I think Huerter can shoot. Huerter's a good shooter. Uh, they got I that think, guy I from think, Sacramento, that Eastern European guy. He's really good. I think. Yeah. I think they've got more on their depth chart than the the Knicks have plenty of good Hunter, players. DeAndre Hunter, good so, defender. Hunter's good. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm going with Atlanta. I think if this could definitely go seven games easily and be like super close. 
But yeah, I'm I'm going with Atlanta. So. I definitely got to watch yeah a couple of those games just for yeah. the Chicago factor alone. <laughs> uh, Tony, is Tony Snell still speaking of Chicago? Is he still on the the, the Hawks? Because he was. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think he so had a game winner this year. Because so, somebody texted me about it. <laughs> They're like Tony Snell. Tony Snell like set a record for like um, I want to say field goal percentage or something, uh, um, but uh, but yeah, he's the he's the uh, he's on the Hawks. Another another Thibodeau protege. Yeah, this is like a Bulls throwback series. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah, Bulls scrimmage maybe. playoffs. So I'll put on my Tony Snell jersey and watch the game. All we need is Della Vadova to uh, take a vicious kick in the rear from Taj Gibson. <laughs> and Tristan Thompson comes in and argues about something. <laughs> uh, should we? Uh, should we do our? Um, should we do our um, predictions for who will win the whole? The whole thing. Mm. Okay, let me think. Because I think this year, like I well, said, let's pick. Let's pick. Pick the finals and pick who wins the finals okay. matchup. It's hard. I'm going to go. I'll I'll start first. I say this is a controversial opinion. Cleveland wins it all, but the Cleveland <laughs> Cavaliers are going to reassemble. <laughs> And defeat the Golden State Warriors. Um, In the NIT version of the NBA Finals. <laughs> uh, I think that this, this is the 76ers year. I think they can do it. Because that, that top seed will serve them well. You know, I think they'll have no problem with Washington. Then they get whoever the Atlanta and, and New York comes out. And I think... The Sixers have more experience, so I could see them winning that pretty easily. And then if it's Brooklyn, you know, um, if it's Milwaukee, I expect the Sixers to beat Milwaukee. And if it's Brooklyn, that could be tough, but I, I could totally see, like, Brooklyn imploding, you know, or Kyrie Irving decides to, you know – play in the nude and then uh you know gets uh then he gets fined and you know something like something crazy happening with uh so that's where the flat earth tattoo is Kyrie. <laughs> we knew it yeah <laughs> so uh so so i'm saying philly out of the east and then in the west that to me that's even harder I mean, you could conceivably say like Portland could come out of it because they could get that hot. Even though um, they're the sixth seed. Even though they're the sixth seed. Yeah. Because like yeah. Utah and Utah and Phoenix, they're the top two seeds. Those two seem like paper tigers. I mean, I just don't think you can just like, especially Phoenix. And Utah just seems like a team that just is a perpetual second round exit. Um. And then, like the Clippers, you know they they're always a second round exit. Denver, you know they're they're just locked in a tough series with Portland. I don't think the Lakers are a team that can go all the way to the finals. So it's really hard to pick one, a, a team coming out of the West. 
Um, so, I mean, I'm going to go with either. I'm going to say this. Whatever team comes out of the Denver-Portland series is going to the finals. All right. Okay. So, which is weird to say that. So I'm so going with that. I'm going with Denver, and then it's going to be a Nuggets Sixers finals, which will mm. be fun. The two MVPs going against each other, or two MVP candidates going against each other, and my pick will be the Sixers. That happens, but it could. I mean, I'm just kind of throwing darts at a solidly reasoned. Yeah, that's my. Uh, so I'm gonna go. I almost picked the Blazers. I was thinking Blazers. They have a shot. If they beat Denver, then it's Portland, Philly, and a classic rematch of the 77 NBA Finals. Bust out your Maurice Lucas jersey beef. Dave Twardzik will be courtside. I'm going to go with, and, you know, what's funny is I bet we could all be wrong. Like, all these teams could lose in the first round. Right, it'll be Lakers, Nets. And, <laughs> God, I'm gonna go uh, Clippers over the Bucks in the finals. That's nice. my pick. Ooh, interesting. Vegas, Vegas odds just shifted dramatically. And that, <laughs> that news. Yes, I am the I, guru of the hardwood. Millions of dollars <laughs> just changed hands right now. <laughs> College savings down the drain. (laughs) (laughs) Bet it all on the Clippers. (laughs) Now we're Um, waiting for Colin as Vegas eagerly awaits Mr. (laughs) Mayo's pick. I think Brooklyn holds it together long enough to get to the finals. Um, Could go either way with Philadelphia or Brooklyn, but I think Brooklyn's got more experience than Philadelphia, uh, so I'm going with them. But, I mean... Philadelphia's better on paper, but I'm still going with Brooklyn. And then the West. Um, I, I j- j- just to throw Vegas into a tailspin, I'm going to go with uh, <laughs> Phoenix. I'm going to go with Phoenix. Oh my God. That's controversial. I'm going to say Chris Paul finally takes a team that far because he's really good. He's I good. Like Dan. I like Chris Paul. He's yeah. really, really good. So you think and, the Suns win? He's making or? every player around him better. Um, no, no. I think, I think, uh, despite Kyrie and Lord knows what happens, um, like, 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 yeah, who, who knows what what could come up? But Kyrie has 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 uh, has a lot around him now that can help make up for his weirdness. Um, you got James Harden, and you got, so yeah. So it's I. I don't want Brooklyn to be the champs, but I think they will be. Kyrie finally says, I finally have a player I can trust in crunch time. <laughs> in crunch time. And LeBron's like, I will kill you. <laughs> I <laughs> will <laughs> come see you. I will sick J.R. Smith on you. <laughs> <laughs> no one Where wants is J.R.? J.R. on a team? He's in my house. He's hanging. Oh, He's, your just, house? Chilling. He's just chilling. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. We were wa- we're gonna watch uh, we're gonna watch some Stephen King uh, double feature when we're done here. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, he made dinner. He made a nice uh, uh, couscous plate. <laughs> couscous. So there you go, Vegas. Yes. yes. 
Uh, Three Steve, of the smartest men in the world. <laughs> uh, Stephen A. Smith just texted me. I was like, you three. Are, <laughs> you, you guys. Jag bags. A bunch of jag bags. You morons. Razor sharp orange faces. That's us. <laughs> By the way, uh, um, I know Len has somewhat uh, t- followed the Kwame Brown uh, t- thing on Twitter. Colin, have you been following this at all? No. What's that? <laughs> Uh, if you Poor want Kwame Brown, wonderful, wonderful viewing, go Ooh. to go to Google and just Google Kwame Brown. Uh, I'm doing were, it right now. Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson have that podcast called All the Smoke, and they had Gilbert Arenas on, and the subject Ooh. turned to Kwame Brown, and the three of them just ripped on him and how much he sucked. And Kwame <laughs> Brown who's just been living quietly down in Georgia for Kwame Brown. Kwame Brown is fresh out of uh, Fox <laughs> and he is, uh, he took no prisoners on these videos and yeah, it, it is. It's awesome. It is wow. so funny. So uh, enjoy. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I got some, uh, I see Steven Jackson appears to threaten Kwame Brown in Instagram <laughs> posts. Um, All I'll say is that Kwame Brown called uh, Matt Barnes Becky with the good hair. <laughs> nice. And he, he called Stephen A. Smith a bald forehead. <laughs> he also called him a, a pale-faced little bitch boy. Oh, he went off. I mean, it did Ow. not hold back. It, wow. <laughs> well, good. It, yeah, if Kwame Brown giving zero fucks sounds like it's going to be a good time. Uh, it's it's good stuff. Good for um, him. Uh, the, the the almost as good as that is if you go to Twitter and just put in Kwame Brown, the comments are just hilarious. It's just so funny. Anyway, do yourself a favor. I enjoyed myself far too much <laughs> looking at the Kwame Brown twitter content can, can i do one last little quote from kwame here to close out the nba section i uh yes just so i can because i'm I, i'm already looking forward to googling this all night so quote from uh kwame brown about uh jalen rose and um his his uh <laughs> his cohorts on espn Quote, you got Jalen Rose, who's a legend. You got Stephen A. Bitch, and you got a dead-faced, pale, white horse. And both of them are talking more than the guy who actually does this shit. <laughs> wow. Roasting Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless. Wow. Okay. Thank you for that. An- another excellent recommendation. Yeah, Rose, like Steve- Rose did defend Kwame Brown because he's like, look, if you play 12 years in the NBA – and you make $64 million in doing so, that's more than 99% of people playing basketball do. So. Yeah, and he was the number one overall pick, too. Yeah, so yeah. you know, for a number one pick, yeah, he was a terrible bust, but... Um, Still success. Hey. Better basketball than all of us. Correct, combined. Well, I don't know. Oh, Len is going to have some yeah. smoke. Kwame Brown is going to make his next video about Len. <laughs> some, <laughs> his some Twitter feed is about the results of Len versus Kwame. One on one in my driveway. Kwame Brown's like, it's come to my attention that someone in Woodridge, Illinois, <laughs> would like to play me in basketball. Facebook Live. <laughs> Kwame versus Len. 
He's even paler than smaller than me, fellas. I'm going to take I his. have the confidence. I have the veteran savvy. I'm going to take his pib drinking ass behind the woodshed. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- thank you for that, uh, the Kwame Brown recommendation, just like uh, the wonderful Stephen King recommendation you gave me earlier. Let's do it. Let's get into segue. it. I love it. Look, Colin's doing our job, uh, Len. He's yep. segueing. He saw an opening. He's like, well, they're not getting it done. Yeah, so. really. That's why I'm not getting paid. <laughs> That's why you are an in-demand podcast guest. <laughs> working. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 Henry is actually fielding. Uh, and Henry is my agent for all my <laughs> podcast uh you know, celebrities are calling. I noticed the demands were for a Ghostbusters 2 DVD and uh, <laughs> North, <laughs> Northwestern Henry basketball season tickets. Two anniversary commentary by Colin. <laughs> Henry Henry charges a high fee, but you know, who else can say they're the most in demand podcast guest? That's true. Jefferson Park, Illinois. This is true. Those negotiations were intense. We're just waiting for our PIB and crystal light and oscar meyer baloney sponsorships to kick in yes it'll be soon it'll be very soon. soon that's why beef's always eating baloney on the podcast and drinking <laughs> crystal light endless slices one of these days they're going to recognize our genius and come <laughs> right, have you have you drank the pib through a bologna, uh, bologna slice yet Ooh. No, bologna is beef's thing well but you know combine your marketing Take a little rolled slice of salami and suck on some sweet pib and watch the money come tumbling down. I just vomited into this microphone. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk Stephen King, the legendary author who has written 64 books just under his name alone. Not to mention all the pseudonyms. I mean, he really is, his output is pretty much, you have to say, unmatched by anyone in popular fiction. And he's kind of, he operates in a space that is, I don't want to say it's like scorned or, but it's not, he's not really considered, at first he was not considered serious literature. I think he's done enough now that he's considered like one of the all-time great American authors, but, um, you know, writing horror Seems to be, you know, it's just like trash or pulp or I don't know. But Too made common. It, yeah, he's whatever. made it an art form. Um, so, uh, but he's uh, one of my favorites and one of Collins too. And and uh, and Lens read about how many Stephen King books have you read? About six or seven, you said. Yeah, six or seven. I like them too. It's just like I said, I uh, I want to read more. It's funny, like six or seven books by one author is a lot. It's a lot. But when it talks with sure. Stephen King, it feels like nothing. <laughs> Drops the bucket. It's a <clears throat> mm-hmm. Like I've read, I figured out, I've read 14 Stephen King books, and that's wow. still like less than half. Of yeah, it's not even close to half. Not even close. And, and Stephen King has written some very, very large books too. Yep. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's I, was, I was talking about that with Laura, and I'm like, it's an investment sometimes to read one of his books because there's, he's got some thousand pagers. Yep. Right. Yeah. 
Well, we'll, we'll discuss that when we discuss his uh, use of cocaine. Uh, what was uh, that let's go through uh real quick what was when did you first become exposed to stephen king and when did you decide this guy's great gotta read gotta read more um we'll start with our our expert guest um i i was not introduced to stephen king as reading literature until i took it upon myself to start reading in college. So I I was familiar with, you know, the Stephen King horror movies, because even back in the late seventies, early eighties, his work was just being adapted left and right. And, you know, considered class, you have Carrie, um, Pet Cemetery. you've got uh, so many movies that are considered like greatest horror film, great amongst the great horror films of all time, The Shining, <clears throat> so I was familiar with the movies, which he had much less to do with um, when I first was exposed to him. When I was in college, I finally decided to, to start reading. Um, and I think what convinced me to start doing that was discovering long after I saw the movie that Stand By Me was based on a Stephen King novella, uh, which is um, in the the uh, collection of novellas called Different Seasons. And I remember thinking at the time how much I loved that movie um, and how it was like contemporary for me because the kids in that movie were, you know, around my age. And I remember thinking Stephen King wrote that, you know? And so I, I, I decided to start big and I, I read the stand, which is a big commitment. And I remember yeah. being part, part way through I was also like, ooh, I, I don't know if I can make it through this. But this was also the time when The Stand was going to be adapted into um, a made-for-TV series uh, in the in the early 90s, I want to say. So, so you like, read okay. the uncut version? <clears throat> yes. That's what so, I read. Yeah, and, and it's a lot. And, and there's a whole bunch going on in there. But I, I, I remember thinking like, okay, this is... I mean, I, I, you're right, that Beav, that, that he... He, there's a knock against him because he writes horror, you know, maybe that's changed now, but way back in the day, it's like, eh, he's a horror writer. He can't be that good so for some reason. And I, you know, I thought the same thing in my head. I'm like, he can't possibly be a good writer because he just writes about pets coming and killing, coming alive and killing people and killer cars and all and good and killer dogs. And, you know, um, but, but then like, I, it's, after reading The Stand, which was, which was a, clearly a, an amazing achievement in itself, just writing that whole story, um, some, some really good apocalyptic fiction long before a whole bunch of other apocalyptic fiction came out, um, and developing the characters like you did in the whole story, that, that was impressive. That alone by itself was impressive. Um, and so then I started to gain some respect for him as a writer, and then more adaptations came out and I kept reading more. So um, I, I think I, I, I've had a, a very long, slowly growing appreciation for Stephen King that start, started uh, uh, because I, I've, I've always, even, even in my early, early years, I think I've always loved horror. Um, and, and that's kind of where it got going. And then it grew from there and it's still just kind not, it's just steadily the appreciation for him just grows very slowly but steadily. Yeah. 
Yeah. What about you, Len? Mine is my uh, my brother is a big reader. One of my older brothers, and he had Stephen King books. And uh, one of his nonfiction ones, I remember he had Don's Macabre, and I would see that in the shelf. And, hmm, maybe I'll read that. But then I saw Christine, and I'm like, that sounded interesting. So I yeah. read, I read Christine. I thought Christine was was pretty good. And I think the movie came out not long after that, which <laughs> we'll talk about that in a little bit. But <laughs> John Carpenter, Carpenter. Yeah, but that was that was my first one, and. Um, but like, I'm always reading a lot of different stuff, but that, that was what got me. And I liked it. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I'll, I'll try something else. One of these days, space out a Stephen King book every five years or so. That's the thing about him is that he, um, well, we'll get into what we like best about him, but, um, the book that, uh, it got me into him was the night shift, the short mm. story collection. I- and. I have not read that one, so I'm I'm anxious to hear what what you think about it. I uh, I basically I it was a, there was a it was a garage sale, and um, you know at the time I was pretty young, and The Shining was uh, out, which you know I, the trailer alone was terrifying, you know. <laughs> yeah, and uh, for me, and um, so I was kind of aware of them, and I um, set some garage sale and that you know, night shift was the, and I was like, Oh, this is short stories. I don't know. And I didn't know that he wrote short stories. And so I picked it up and uh, I, I think it was the second one. Um, the second short story was called graveyard shift. And I think they made a movie out of it, which I didn't see. They did. Yeah. Um, like 1981 or something. Yeah. Did you ever see it? I, I, I have only seen clips of it. um but it's uh i've never seen the full thing i haven't either and um but basically it's a story about um there's this textile mill in set where else in maine and basically this young drifter once again they get you know stephen king likes to focus on young drifters (laughs) and um basically he uh, has this job at the mill when the cruel foreman says, Hey, we got to clean out this basement. It's been abandoned for decades. And, you know, we've got to like clean this out. Well, a monumental infestation of rats has taken over in the basement. And like, they, they make their way down the stairs and each, you know, first of all, they, they just get bigger and bigger. Then they like evolve into like these terrible types of, you know, other, you know, pterodactyl type bat like, uh, 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 animals. And then the, uh, when they get down to the sub basement, it's they inside the sub basement is this, like, it's like the queen rat, which is like the size of a Holstein calf. <laughs> and like no eyes, no legs, and it just breeds more rats. And uh, so, of course, uh, our hero pushes the villain into the queen rat who devours him. And then he tries to run out of the basement and all the rats just eat him to death. And then everyone's upstairs like everyone is upstairs in the mill going, whoa, what happened to those two guys? Well, let's go down and take a look. I saw a couple rats, nothing we can't handle. And I was <laughs> reading this going, no. I mean, I didn't know 
that like a short story or something could be like that scary and i was like i mean i was freaked out by that how old story. how old were you when you read that's that? why Beaver would never go in the factory basement right? <laughs> well that that there were things that could kill you in the past. It's probably a rat. I think I did see the rat a size of a pterodactyl. Oh, I know we did. Um, so how old probably, were you? I was probably that? like 12 or 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, so I, I bought Night Shift and I read. Uh, there were a few others that were just. But like it was easily debt because they were all short stories. So it, yeah, I was able to get into him more. Um, but that's my first exposure. to. Uh, to Stephen King. Um, what are your, if you had to do your top five Stephen King, what are, what are yours? Do you want me to start with that, Lynn? Yeah, go ahead. Good. <clears throat> okay. Guest so, first. Impeccable manners. Yes. Best first. Um, <laughs> this is going to make you mad because I'm sort of cheating because uh, to me, his best book is Different Seasons, which is not uh, a novel. It's it's, it's, it's still a book, no novella. It counts. It's a book. Yeah. Um, to me, I, I, I need to uh, check with the commissioner on this. <laughs> <laughs> Call Judge Darby and let and let and get her ruling. Um, Darby, yeah. Darby yes. said it's okay as long as you uh, like. Uni- do you like unicorns? I love unicorns. Okay, then you're in. Oh yeah. Um, thank you, thank you, Judge Darby. <laughs> Motion is carried. Um, so yeah, different seasons because. Uh, not only because of the stories, two of which were uh, adapted into enormously successful movies, but also just the stories themselves. That was the second Stephen King uh, book I read in college after The Stand. Um, and to me, it was just remarkable what a com- like a really complete and talented writer Stephen King is. That was the first time I got an appreciation of that because, you know, all four of the novellas are themed off of a season of the year. You know, the body is Fall from Innocence. Rita Hayworth and the Star Redemption is Hope Springs Eternal. Apt People is Summer of Corruption. Breathing Method is Winter's Tale. Um, so he, he builds off a theme and he creates, uh, for, for me, the body and, and Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption are two of the best American novellas you'll ever read. Uh, honestly, uh, they're, they're just, they're so good. Um, so that's number one, uh, before I get off track too much. Number two for me is the stand. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's well-known and famous, uh, for very good reason. Um, it's been adapted many times in the TV, somewhat successfully, somewhat not successfully. Um, but it's great apocalyptic fiction. Um, and it's really, uh, you know, sits within the Stephen King mythos of, you know, a, a dark man and, and the end of the world. And, and a lot, there's a lot of familiarities in there that will also spill over into other books, but this is also its own uh, dark place. And speaking, so number three will be uh, the Dark Tower series. My, my favorite of the Dark Tower series is book five. Um, and that's the Wolves uh, of the, yeah, uh, there's a, yeah, Kala or Kayla. There's, I think there's a debate as to how to pronounce that. Dark Tower number five? Number that's five. Your third? Oh, wow. That's my, yeah. Dark, and the reason why is because he, um, you know, it, there's so much coming together from the previous books into that book. You know, Stephen King said what started him, what started him writing The Dark Tower was 
he wanted an American version of Lord of the Rings. That was his inspiration. It was like, I, I, I want to make an American Lord of the Rings. So he, and he started it in uh, late sixties, I believe. Um, and he, and he finally completed it uh, decades later. Um, and, and, and there, there's a whole weird rhythm to those books, but one through five um, are really kind of on the same line that builds. And to me, the, the fifth book is really just, it's such a reward for, for the other goods, which are the other books are good. I do like them, but to me, there's such a reward uh, for, for book five um, in there. Um, so then for the other two, I, I was having a hard time um, picking these last two yeah. uh, be, be, because, um, well, I, I'll just, I'll just, so not, the, the, the next one is the, is the Green Mile, um, which was the third Stephen King uh, that, that uh, I read because um, that, that came out late 90s or so, mid to late 96. 90s. 96, yeah. It was a and that serial. Was, yeah, yeah cereal. that was a big deal. Yeah, that was cool, and and uh, that that was my first time. I was like, okay, now I'm all I'm Stephen Kinged up. I I, I I'm all ready for this, um, and that was very cool in in terms of its format. The this the story I don't think it is one of his best, but still he's he's doing a lot of really uh, really cool stuff with that one. Um, so then um, last one. Um, which I'm 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 gonna talk about later with with uh, movies uh, is Gerald's Game. That's number five, and I will leave it at that because I want to talk more about that one later. I haven't read Gerald's Game. Interesting. Gerald's Game isn't one that gets talked about too much, so I'm I'm curious to hear what you say. So what what's uh what's the other top fives you got? You want to go beef? I'll yeah, go. I'll go. Um. So my number one is The Stand. I just think that that is, um, you know, he kind of, he really proved that after, you know, he he could write some like kind of like pulpy horror, you know, with some awesome kill scenes and just crazy terror. But The Stand is such like a mature effort. You know, it's a just a, a true epic. And it's it's also just terrifying but it's, it goes into like fantasy and, um, you know, um, you know, the symbolism is, is very, very um, unlike any other um, of his previous works. And I just think it's, um, I just think it's a, a great achievement and uh, it's the only Stephen King book. I didn't think it's not the only Stephen King book. It's one of the few Stephen King books I've read twice. And um, I've read twice too. Yeah. And uh Never in my mind would I have thought I could read a book that big twice. I right. So did you read the uncut one too, Beef? What's that? The uncut one. Yeah. Um. So I read the uh, I've I've read the uncut one twice. I didn't get to the stand until I think I got out of college. Um. And I I never got to it because I was like this too long. I don't want to read. It. <laughs> and uh, I I prefer way pictures. too many vowels. In this yeah, book. I like pictures. <laughs> pictures in this book? No. No, I'll, I'll get to it later. Cool picture on the cover. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but number two uh, was uh, Pet Cemetery, and uh, Pet Cemetery to me was, 
I knew this was something really scary because I was like, I found myself reading it. Um, I would read it. Um, I had a summer job and uh, I usually had a half hour, um, you know, before I went home where I, you know, basically knocked off and just effing around. And I would read Pet Cemetery, and I would read it until <laughs> I could see that it was getting dark. And I was like, I got to put this book away <laughs> because uh, it's getting scary. <laughs> and uh, and then I made the mistake of finishing it at night because it, it got so good <laughs> that I couldn't put it down, which I think is one of Stephen King's great gifts is that more than any other book, he's or more than any yep. other author. He is one that I particularly have trouble putting down. Yeah, and you know you should. Right. That's it. It's like that's a good I've way to up, put it. I have been up for a, you know the last hour and a half. This is so yeah. good. I got to know what happens next. Yeah, I'm gonna have nightmares. I'm not gonna sleep. I just, yeah. I, I gotta read it. Don't care. Don't and care. Uh, so yeah, Pet Cemetery gave me nightmares. I mean, what other book can you say that about? Um, mm-hmm. uh, with the cat. Gary and, Busey's autobiography gave me nightmares. Oh. <laughs> yes. His whole life is like a Stephen King book. It really is. <laughs> um, I'll go through the other three really quickly. Three is Night Shift. I've already talked about that. Four is The Shining, um, which uh, scared the hell out of me. Um, well, let me let me ask you this about The Shining, because we haven't talked really only a little bit about The Shining so far. Yeah. Book or movie? movie the movie's better than the book but you still love the book yeah that's uh and i i can't tell i thought that the book and i know stephen king has had serious issues with kubrick's uh version of the of the shining um but to me it was more human um you know kind of version of that movie um almost kinder and gentler if you can believe that um but still like scary as i mean just the the hotel itself was the main character mm-hmm. um i mean it's just a classic just like haunted house um did you see the uh 1997 tv miniseries that i did it was just like this is dumb <laughs> this was bad so i know stephen king just real quick segue. stephen king was been mad for decades about what you know kubrick did to his book so then he's like we're gonna make it into a tv series like i wanted my movie to be and it's like kubrick was right he was right. so much right Correct. yeah that was bad the 97 tv series I but agree. I thought Stephen King was like, Stephen Weber will sell this. <laughs> He's like, I, no, I wrote it. The guy from Wings to sell The guy it. from Wings will terrify you with this script that I wrote that we won't know it's terrible until it's too late. <laughs> uh, if there's anything that will scare you above all else, it's a bunch of hedges. <laughs> And are moving. Oh Whoa. no! Yeah, Kubrick knew what he Kubrick knew what he was doing. Agreed. Now, um, I have not seen, um, you know, like Doctor Sleep, and I'm I've been, you know, very interested in, um, you know, just kind of how that's, you know, going to, uh, you know, play out. Uh, but I haven't read it. Same here. Um, very cu- very curious, but we'll see when I can do it. Yeah, I've heard good things Me about too. Doctor Sleep, both, uh, both the movie and the book. Yeah, 
Um, number five for me is 11-22-63. I just think that's just, uh, in many ways, I think that's his, like his best written book. I, just the, the action and the forward. I have and, a feeling, I'm halfway through it. I have a feeling that one may jump into my top five when I'm done because I am loving it so much halfway through. Yeah, it's really good. So that's, that's my top five. Uh, mine, which I'm surprised neither one of you has picked this book yet. My number one's It. Yeah. I have not read that one. I, I I finally saw the most recent movie adaptation of it, but I didn't see the Tim Curry one. But I have that that one I was just completely unfamiliar with. Although I, you know, I heard of it way back in the 80s. So, yeah, it, what's, I think what's different about it, what distinguishes it from his other stuff is, it's just the relationships are so strong in it with the, between these kids and just the way it's set up. It's first, I mean, you know the story, right, Colin? I'm not going to yeah. really spoil anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's as the kids, they fight this clown and they get back together hey, as adults. And there's just so much going on in it. And I just, I thought it was fantastic. And it's another doorstop book, but I was riveted. And like, like what Beef says, you just wanted to keep reading. You don't want to put, you did not, I did never want to put that one down. And, uh, but The Stand, which is my number two, they're almost interchangeable, one and two. I remember reading The Stand. I, I got it when it was, it came out as the, uh, here's the unedited version of The Stand. And what's interesting about reading The Stand is I, remember, <laughs> I for some reason, I was always listening to, Human Wheels by John Mellencamp while I was reading the stand. <laughs> so I associate all of those songs from that album with the stand. And then hmm. like years later, they collaborated on like a Broadway thing, Stephen King and Mellencamp. Wow. Like I willed wow. that into existence, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but it and the stand are just they're amazing accomplishments. They're, they're both gigantic books and they just are riveting and terrifying and the characters are fantastic. And I feel like when you think about it, it, it just kind of all comes back to you. I mean, sometimes you read a book and you really like it and you don't really remember much of it years later, but, but those two books. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you get well, the review? Well, we'll talk about that when we talk about the adaptations. Um, my third one is under the dome. I didn't read that. I did not, but another one heard good things about. Another huge book. uh, Great idea. Do you guys familiar with the plot of that? Very vaguely, yeah. No. It's basically uh, a town wakes up and there's a dome over it and they can't get out. And it's just all about what happens and how they're just going crazy because they're trapped underneath this whatever. they, They can't figure out what it is. And this is a book I remember. I didn't buy it. I just kept taking it out of the library. I would read <laughs> 300 pages and have to bring it back. And I just kept it because I'm like, I got to finish this book. This is really good. Ah. And uh, I remember they did a TV series and it was just really disappointing because I thought the book uh, was great. I thought it was one of his most original ideas and just uh, good characters and, you know, terrifying his usual strengths. But I, I liked it a lot. Uh, my number four is Christine, which we talked about. And me and my staff got together for number five. Uh, right? 
read chapters to each other, stayed overnight at the office. That you paid them well. I just, <laughs> just finished. <laughs> I just finished it, and it's uh, Mr. Mercedes. And I'm totally unfamiliar with that. I'm very curious to hear what you think. I was telling Beave about it. It's it's basically about there's a guy who it's got a lot of traditional Stephen King stuff in it. It's a guy who has a is very sexually dysfunctional, uh, and he crashes into a bunch of people lining up to get a job and kills all of them, but gets away with it. <laughs> and the whole plot is this retired detective uh, and they're kind of cat and mouse game between the two. And he's trying to figure out who this guy is because he's talking to him online. And um, the detective's neighbor, this 18 year old kid gets involved in it and it just gets better. It just gets more and more suspenseful as you go on. And in the very end, you're not like, you know, like <laughs> I don't want to give any of it away, but it's got, it's got a lot of, uh, it's very suspenseful. And the, I mean, it, it he turned into a trilogy. I, I don't know if he planned on that, but well, at the end, you could tell he's, he's going to write another one without yeah. telling you what the ending is. But the character, uh, the main villain in the end, he's not in the second book, but he's in the third, even though they consider it a trilogy because the detectives in all three of them. Yeah. But I, re- I really enjoyed it. And that's that's a TV series. It's on it was on sci-fi for a year and then it was on Mother <clears throat> Station for a couple seasons and you can watch them on Peacock. So I might actually watch it now because I enjoyed the book so much. Yeah, I want to see that. Cool. Interesting. What um you know, what is it about his writing that is most appealing to you? Like what is it like if you could say I like Stephen King because um is it, you know, I, I mean, I'll start to me. Um, what makes his writing so appealing is that he writes so visually in that he creates these just powerful scenes where like, like, and they're just like, he sets the whole picture like in the stand where um, he's trying to get out of New York and the entire Lincoln tunnel is just full of, crashed cars and dead bodies and he's trying Mm -hmm. to get out and uh just that whole description of it is just the you know it's just one moment of out of however many hundreds of pages but it's just such a picture Mm -hmm. and he does that time and again and um and to me that's uh that's really you know his his gift as a writer um Another scene from the stand is when when the wolves are all lined up, you know, sitting along the road, um, you know, 10 feet apart, just down the road. Um, And uh, that's another just like you could just like picture it in your mind. And um, that's my favorite part about his writing. Mm, Yes. You want me to go next? Yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you. As um, our guest, we inquire that you go next, Colin. Thank you very much. We really um, value your expert <laughs> guest opinion. I can't opinion. wait to hear what our guest has to say about <laughs> it. As long as he's quick. 
<laughs> so um, I, t- I, 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 I was turning over this in my head and I, I, I wrote some stuff down because I could not quite put my finger on it. To me, he's just so good at somehow, I'm not sure how he does, but somehow he makes, he can take something that's beautiful and something that's completely repulsive and then just, and blend them together um, just so effortlessly. It's, it's amazing how like you'll, you'll be reading and something, you know, sweet or kind or, or beautiful or thought from, you know, tender, even something tender will be having. And then like, he'll, you'll, you'll get this really long description of a rotting carcass and, ah. and this, and this stuff where you're just like, Oh, you know, so it's, it's, it'll, it'll draw you in and then kind of make you flinch, you know? Um, and, and he, um, there, there's something that's just kind of icky and dark about the way he writes yet. It's so compelling. Um, Cause you, you never know when he's going to hit you with something really um, poignant and, and thoughtful and, and just, just makes you think. And then, you know, something bad's going to happen and it's just going to be, Ugh. but, but it's just, but I, I, I don't, I, can't explain how he does it, but he, you know, we've all talked about how you, you can't put this down. It's uh, it's, there's something just so compelling about how he crafts his writing and his stories. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just, I, he, he's, he's, and he's really good at it. So. Agreed. Agreed. Then what's, uh, what do you like best? I think he's really good at getting you in the mind of the characters and feeling their fear. Like what, what's, what really gets to the character? What's getting to them? That's super compelling. Mm-hmm. When you're reading yeah. about that, what, what's, what's making them so afraid? And he, he, he does it every time. I mean, all the books I've read by him, he's great at doing that. Yeah. Yeah. If there's, is there a, uh, a book that you feel is overlooked or, you know, not talked about and you're like, how, how is this book not more popular? Like, I think this book is amazing. Um, but it seems to be overlooked. Um, is there any kind of underrated Stephen King book that uh, you feel should get more love? I, I, you know, just to kind of go back to, you know, we, we mentioned, uh, Gerald's game earlier. I don't know if I would call it overlooked or underappreciated, but I I certainly did. And the the only reason why, and I'd seen that book in Walden books and every other bookstore all over the place, like on the shelf for years and years and years, you know, it's got a, you know, a a picture of a bloody handcuff attached to a, you know, a bedpost. So you can sort of like say, okay, I think I know what's going to happen in this book. Um, And, and it was just around forever, but, I never heard much about it, didn't really know about it, and uh, just kind of put it at the back of my mind. But um, in 2017, Mike Flanagan adapted it for Netflix. And um, are you guys familiar with Mike Flanagan? He's he's like a really accomplished horror guy now. Like he's done he's done a lot of really. He, he did the House on Haunted Hill series yeah. for Netflix. Um, yeah. He's really good. Um, he's like going to rival Frank Darabont for ad- adapting Stephen King work if he keeps doing it. Um, and so, and, and I remember just thinking like, hmm, you know, cause, cause I knew Mike Flanagan. I knew he was really, and Carla Gugino is in it. And she, I, I really like her work. And, 
And I, even though I, I sort of maybe didn't have a, a an opinion on first, a, a good opinion on first glance of this book, I was like, well, I, I'd like to know more. Even before this was, I'm like, I, I'm curious. You've piqued my interest, Mr. King. You know, so um, I, I, I saw the, the, uh, the Netflix movie of it, which was extremely good. Um, and interestingly, it's, it's, Gerald's game has, has a lot of familiar King ideas. And, um, and I think maybe the, it could be just like the kinky factor of it, or like um, there, there just might be something that makes it be overlooked because it's, it's too uncomfortable. Some of the subject matter is too uncomfortable, which is, which is understandable. Are, are you familiar with the story at all? Sort I have like a working knowledge of the plot. Okay. So I, um, so not, not only is, is the whole like kink and sexual element of it uncomfortable, there's, there's like sexual abuse, um, from, from, from the main character that is gradually revealed. Um, and it, it is, it's very, very like troubling. Um, and, and I, I give a, immense credit to Mike Flanagan for, um, turning it into film in a way that was deeply uncomfortable but not like uh like it was it was it was it was it was so so well done because it could have it could have just been dis- disgusting which like just straight up disgusting despicable uh, but that would have eliminated the uh its place in the story and its value in the story the um and henry thomas uh elliot from et is is um is in it and plays um, the you know the father who who does terrible things to the main character uh, when she's a young girl and there's it's the most uncomfortable scene about a solar eclipse in film history <laughs> without a doubt um, and and it's it's so it's like it's like I it just makes you ugh, like like goose flesh everywhere it's so horrible and so awful um, but it's well done enough so that you know, like a good filmmaker, Mike Flanagan lets you fill in the blanks without showing you everything. Right. Um, and the the young actress, um, I think, her name, I think her, I'll, I might mispronounce her name, Chi- Chiara Aurelia is the uh, young girl who plays um, the main character. And then Henry Thomas, like, I can't imagine how they did that scene. It's crazy. Um, but the, the the main theme, without spoiling too much, the main theme of Gerald's game is uh, a, a woman breaking out of her bonds, you know, literally and figuratively. Um, because, you know, the, the plot, which I think everybody knows is um, this woman and her husband who are, their relationships failing, they go away for a weekend and, and they decide to get a little kinky. And so the husband like handcuffs his wife to the bed and right as they're about to get going, um, he dies. And so his, his body is just there and she's still handcuffed to the bed like, practically naked and has no way of escape. Um, so that, that's the, the sort of the, just the premise. And then. Oh, is, um, is Bruce Greenwood in that? Yes, he is. Yeah. He's the okay. husband. So and he, another, good, another, another very good actor. Um, yeah. And so, and so we come throughout the story to learn of what has been basically holding this woman captive her entire life, uh, literally and figuratively. And, 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 the way she has to escape is is 
wonderfully gruesome in Stephen King fashion, horrifying and gruesome. Sorry about that. I'll uh, I'll wrap it. So um, so 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 yeah. There, there's there's all sorts of tradi- good horror elements and strange spooky elements going on, um, but the story itself um, is much broader and deeper than the subject matter. And and I think the uncomfortable subject matter maybe causes it to get overlooked. Um, and understandably so. I, I, I wouldn't blame anybody about that, but I, I think it's a really well-crafted story um, and a well-done, um, just it, like in true Stephen King fashion, he's, he, gives, he takes something that just gives you the willies and the shakes and the shivers, and he turns a big broad, into a bigger, broader story with full characters in itself. That's your pick. Yes. Um, you know, we got a, we have a, about 15 minutes left and uh, we haven't yet touched on his movies. Um, you know, maybe we should talk um, best movie made out of a Stephen King um, novel or short story or work or whatever. Let's um, you want to do like a rapid fire cop five and then do a quick overview of his career. That works. Sounds good. You want to go first, Len, or should we sure. let the guest go first? Uh, yeah, let's let the guest go first here oh, at Jay. Thank you. Okay, so top top five movie based on Stephen King book, Rapid Fire. Let's do it. Okay, Stand by Me, Shawshank Redemption, Gerald's Game, The Shining, Kubrick Version, and Pet Cemetery. Do you have any TV ones? I have. Well, TV one would fall uh, in the worst, uh, which would be The Shining TV miniseries. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that, that's my worst. Uh, and and I was Stephen saying, Weber and Tony Larusa do not listen to this podcast. <laughs> Stephen Weber yeah. is crying right now. <laughs> Sorry, Rebecca yeah. DeMornay. Yeah. 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 Five. Okay. Um, mine are combined movies and TV shows. So Shawshank, just real quick about Shawshank. You guys both know my friend Kevin, right? Yes. Kevin O'Reilly. Yes. After we saw it, he just looked at me and said one word. He goes, powerful. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. (laughs) So Shawshank, Stand By Me, the Dead Zone movie, which I think is a great Christopher Walken performance that's not really Christopher Walken-y. I think that's a great movie. The It miniseries, Colin, that you referenced with Tim Curry. Curry. I I never saw it. it. Loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And then I have kind of a tie for fifth because these are the four I just mentioned, I think are great. These five I think are good. So I couldn't really separate them too much. And that's Christine, which has kind of got sentimental value to me because that was like when I was in high school, I saw that. And I saw it at the patio for a dollar. Uh-huh. And, uh, yes. The Outsider, which was just on HBO. And I actually thought that could have been great, but Ben Mendelsohn was in it, and I didn't think he was very good. Hmm. So that kind of made it not get up as high as it could have. Um, The Green Mile, which we talked about. Uh, I am surprised that Colin didn't say anything about Children of the Corn and uh, (laughs) Andy Dalton (laughs) twin Courtney Gaines. (laughs) (laughs) That 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 movie, I I, it's fine. You know, I the, the my favorite thing about that movie is. My wife saw that when she was like five and, um, and, and it, it, it traumatized her for a very, very long time. And, 
I, I, you just, I, I could give her sh- shakes just by mentioning it uh, for a good many years. And then she was terrified when you told Malachi. her your middle name. Yeah. I was just saying your middle name is Malachi. Malachi. Oh, yeah. man. Did you think that he who walks behind the rose would <laughs> allow you to escape? Amanda! Yes, your woman! You know what's an underrated one that I thought of today that I forgot I saw <laughs> is Silver Bullet. Did you ever see that? Oh, with I Corey have not Hain? seen that. That's right. That was Stephen King. Forgot Stop about that. One. Stop that. Stop <laughs> it right now. Stop. Pretty it. good. No. Based I'll on bet. Cycle of the Werewolf, Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet. You know, and uh, if we're gonna allow ties for places, I, I got to movie. I got to put uh, Misery in as as a tie with Pet Cemetery. Yeah, we haven't I, mentioned Misery at all. I, that is that is the only time in a movie theater that I have heard the entire audience scream as loud as they could. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, same here. Um, yeah, and and everybody and everybody in the theater also squirming leading up to that moment because everyone knows it's coming. Yep. You know. Yep. I uh, misery is my number two movie. All right, Beav, give it to us. Um, Number one is The Shining. I just think The Shining is just stands alone. Towering work. Um, two would be Misery. And yeah, I saw that at the Evanston Theater and Packed House. And when you see Kathy Bates standing at the foot of the bed with the mallet hammer in her hands, I mean, literally the entire theater screamed. Yeah. And awesome. Did, really, did I, either of you read the book? No, no, haven't read. No, book. curiously enough, I have not. But that—that's a seminal moment in American film history. Kathy and that sledge, yeah, and won the Academy Award. She won the Oscar. Oh, oh, you never saw Misery? No. J- J- Jimmy Jimmy Kahn's in that one, directed by Rob Reiner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Great, yeah, good movie. Good, really good. Movie. good. Uh, so that's my number two, three: The Dead Zone. I need um, to see that Cronenberg. I mean, it's got Christopher Walken and Martin Sheen. I mean, come on. I, I saw a big long thing about how the dead zone was predicting Trump bef- long before Trump. Did you ever read the book? No. Yeah. The book's really, the book is really good too. And the movie is Martin Sheen. He's sheening it. <laughs> and, uh, full on sheen. And he's the Trump type character. It's and great. then I, I love that movie. And Christopher Walken plays the school teacher who um, is a, uh, he, he gains the ability to see the future and he sees what Trump will do if elected president. Mm-hmm. Oh no, he must be stopped. And we uh, lived it's in such the, a non walking role. It's, yeah. it's, it's great. And we essentially lived in the dead zone for the past four years. Yeah. I mean, pretty <laughs> much. It's scary. Yeah. Uh, four, uh, for me, um, would be stand by me. Um, another, you know, Rob Reiner and, uh, I mean, look, it's Corey Feldman. Okay. Just, that's enough. That's all I have to say. Just the, the genius of Feldman. Teddy the movie. Eve was also called loony, loony, loony. When you- <laughs> <laughs> I know who you are. You're Teddy <laughs> Your father's a loon. <laughs> Come on, that movie's great. I love it. It's my number it one. It is a great movie. It's a great it's my movie. Number one. It was my number two. Yeah. Eve doesn't listen, Colin, like I just said. I am. Yeah. 
I, uh, um, and then, uh, my, uh, my number five movie is the mist. Interesting. Um, which I thought was really, um, that's also Darabont. That was good. And, yeah, that uh, one was good. I liked it better than Shawshank. Out of all the Darabont movies, I really, liked the, I like the Mist the best. I think he Shawshank no is a strange statement. Shawshank is no heart. Che- two cheese ball. <laughs> Beef hates You're hope. insane. Beef hates hope. I am a tower of truth. Oh my gosh. The mist, the mist is good for sure. It, it's the faxes good. are coming in like crazy. <laughs> I it, welcome it ain't no Shawshank. I welcome these. Larusa Weber Shawshank. We're in trouble. <laughs> you. Call for an emergency shipment of toner. <laughs> Tony uh, Larusa is gonna fax you about the terrible rookie mistake you just made. Larusa will be like, I'm gonna consider this a teaching moment for you. He, he will you will be punished like you should be for this family uh right now our, i'm trending our, uh, our uh, friend, more in support for my statement a <laughs> friend uh, of the uh, podcast jack siren likes the mist too but i think he was talking about the book yeah I've i haven't not, read not i haven't book, read it yeah. yeah movie is good though it is good so all right let's do a quick quick overview to finish up how about that cool Let's do it. What's really impressive? Listen to these first three books of his: Carrie, yeah, Salem's Lot, mm-hmm. The Shining. That's in- insane. Yeah, those are like people still buy those books like crazy. Those yeah. are you, you. You mentioned the names; people know what like they know exactly what you're talking about. We haven't even mentioned Carrie out of all these, but we haven't even mentioned Carrie, which is amazing book and movie. movie. Sully's yeah. gonna be pissed at us. Sully will Carrie, the original Carrie herself. Named after Carrie. Yeah. You know, uh, one really quick thing about uh, Carrie is that De Palma told Piper Laurie um, that uh, he was taking the book and making it a comedy. So he told Piper Laurie to be big and wacky. And she, the whole time, and he was laughing at her. She's like, oh, that's hilarious. You're so good. Bigger, bigger. So Piper Laurie is playing all those scenes for laughs. Wow. Yeah. Carrie, Carrie is also speaking of pop culture, but you, there, there are so many just TV series that mention or allude to, or just have an outright prom scene based on Carrie. Yeah. Yeah. So many. There's, I mean, his impact on pop culture, it's just crazy. He just, absolutely. Everybody refers to Stephen King regularly. There's you another one. Know, you kind of know someone. Like, I know all this stuff about Misery. I've never seen it. But mm-hmm. it's referenced so often, you, you kind of know what goes on in the movie. Yeah. So, and then after those three, then we all looked this up. His <laughs> cocaine years. <laughs> which is probably going to make everyone want to do cocaine. Because or it's for 78 to 87, this is what he did. Some of his highlights. Night Shift, The Stand, The Dead Zone, Firestarter, Cujo. Dark Tower, Different Seasons, Christine, Pet Cemetery, Cycle of the Werewolf, It. Give me the cocaine. <laughs> Give uh, it to me. I wish we that's, could all be that creative on cocaine. Wow. That's just nuts. I mean, yeah. that's an amazing run. That was, you know, almost, almost a decade. Yeah. And, and I forget which book it was, but our, our mutual friend, Eric Roach, 
will, will could tell us which book Stephen King says he claims he didn't remember writing. <laughs> I thought it was either the Tommy Knockers or I think it. that's right. Yeah, yeah he's what, like, you I, know what? I didn't I, mention that one. That was his last cocaine year. He wrote I think it's, four books. <laughs> yeah, he's got Eyes, Eyes of the Dragon, Misery, Dark Tower Two, and Tommy Knockers. So maybe it is Tommy Knockers. That's I think what he's Tommy like, Maybe I should lay off the stuff. <laughs> I love that he was strung out on cocaine and continued to just pump out work. Like no going to studio 54 or, you know, hanging out. No, with, no going uh, to a retreat. Audrey Landers, and Judy Landers. Yeah. I mean, 82 and 83 he had three books out each year. Yeah. Guy just kept writing. <laughs> Amazing. He probably used cocaine. that was intended, you know, for energy and <laughs> clearer thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's let's go to a next decade. So from like eighty eight to ninety seven, he's he's still rolling though, because he's got, um, he does the dark half. He, he comes out with the uncut version of the stand, needful things, Gerald's game, one of Car- uh, Colin's favorites, Dolores Claiborne, Insomnia, Green Mile, and you know, and then he he finishes up with um, Dark Tower Four and Bag of Bones. I mean, these are, the, he has no slumps. Correct. He has no, no slumps at all. And then from, oh, let's go. He never took a break. <laughs> he doesn't take it, a break. It, it took a truck. A break. It took a truck nearly killing him to take a break. But this, that's what's next. He got right. hit by a car. And his, his bad accident was 99. Did that slow him up? No. Not really. I mean, I don't know. He probably had these written already, but it starts off with Hearts in Atlantis and the girl who loved Tom Gordon. Have any of you ever read that one, Tom Gordon? I, I have no. not, but I remember when that got to read out. that one. I got to oh, read right. That one. And when uh, B.V. said the nonfiction thing, uh, well, two things. He wrote a book about the Red Sox, I remember. Right. Because uh, he's a huge Red Sox fan. And then his probably most well-known nonfiction book came out in 2000. That's on writing. Mm-hmm. That that book sells nonstop. I, oh, I, I yeah, I, I I read that one and um and yeah and I think I, who wouldn't want to hear what Stephen King says about writing? So it's, it's going to sell nonstop for a long time. Isn't that where he basically said if you're not reading and or writing four to six hours a day, I cannot consider you a serious writer. <laughs> That's I kind of what he, all the writers do. They have this routine where they. It's almost an all day thing. It's like a nine to five job for them. Sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think part of it's just getting started. You get yeah. started and you get locked in and then you could write for a significant amount of hours if you have the type of talent that the most popular authors do. Yeah. And, and I think that what they all say is, is the practice, you know, yeah. and yeah. There, you need to practice and you've got to, got to write a whole bunch of stuff that you're just going to have to throw away. It's right. how I wrote sweatpants episodes one and two. <laughs> cocaine. Lots of, lots of hours in cocaine. Yes. Right. Well, <laughs> and, and you know, and the results speak for themselves. That's when Len was known as the Lord of Liquor Box. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I mean, some more highlights of 99 to 2008. Everything's Eventual, which is a short story collection of his that still does really well couple more Dark Tower books, Colorado Kid, which was a departure from him. Right. Uh, I think this is how you say it. Is it Lisey's story? 
that's that's being made into a TV show. The Mist, which Beeve likes. Uh, more than Shawshank. More than Shawshank. More than Shawshank. The, to- the tone literacy of faxes are still coming in. Faxes are still coming in. Saying, and then finishes up, finishes up that stretch with Under the Dome, which is one of my favorites. Yeah. yeah. And okay, so now <laughs> he just keeps We're not done. Yeah. From now to the present, he, he, has a, he has a book out every year. Every year. Including the, the, the uh, Kennedy one that Beeve really likes, Dark Tower 8. Um, <laughs> Mr. Mercedes, and it's just Doctor Sleep. How does he do this, man? He's just—I don't know. Incredible. He's incredible. And and it's not just like he whips out some some quickie things that you just sent through. Like I I it's it's taken me weeks and weeks to get halfway through eleven twenty two sixty three, and a lot of that is because the story is so dense and layered, and there's so much going on. It's just it's wonder. It's so great. So I have no idea how he can write this much, um, this often and still have so much to read, you know, so much for you to, to take in as you read. And don't forget his Twitter takedowns of Donald Trump, <laughs> which are a work in and of themselves. They are. But it's, I mean, as a book retailer, and you can't fit all his books in the store. It's hard to pick sometimes. Like, what are you going to carry? Because... I was all these books almost I'd say almost every book I've mentioned still sells. It's not like great. he has one that people don't want to read. Is, what, would is you, there, what would you say is his best selling book, Len? Like what's the one that you would say sells the well, most? The thing with him though is when an adaptation comes out, that's when it starts selling again. Mm-hmm. Like the stand they recently redid. So then people started buying that again. Right. It had a movie a couple of years ago, so it it keeps selling. Um, but you know what's an impressive one is Salem's Lot because Salem's Lot is never really they, – they've, they've had adaptations, ad, adaptations of it, but none of them have ever been super popular. But that book still continues to sell. Really? That, yes. That's interesting because that was going to be my question. Is like, is there a Stephen King book that no matter what has always been in stock? And it sounds like Salem's Lot. Was. Yeah, well, I, yeah, and I think – I mean, his early ones, I mean, you probably never would take – the Shining off the shelf, right? And his third book. I mean, I'm sure that's at a, a decent sized bookstore. The Shining's probably been in stock everywhere forever. Yeah, I'm sure Carrie, same thing. Yeah, but it's and, tough. I mean, and some of his books are like, like it. <laughs> it yeah. is this much shelf space. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody buys it, and you're like, what happened to all the books? <laughs> so and so the the two of you are the the farthest you've gotten in Dark Tower is, is book five now, right? No, I've read any. I've okay. only got I've only made it through book three. So um they those books get thicker and thicker and thicker the longer you go on. Um I I I want to hear your thoughts um on book six because I don't want to give anything away, but that is one of the weirdest, weirdest twists I've ever read. And you have to read it to see. So, for, you know, for another time, we'll have to, I want to hear your thoughts about that. Cause I, I, re- I literally was, I was like, and as I was reading it, I said, what the fuck? Like out loud as, <laughs> as I'm reading it, you know, it, uh, it, it's crazy. So I, yeah, anyway. My father, oh. my father's obsessed with the Dark Tower series. He's read yeah, them right. all, obsessed with them. Yeah, and and it wraps up very. 
it, it takes that weird, weird turn in that book, but but it wraps up extremely satisfying in a very satisfying way. Well, that's good. That's good because there's eight of them. So, yep. What? One last thing before we end it. Since you guys have read more than me, what's one for each of you that we haven't talked about yet, uh, whether it's rated properly or not? What's another one you'd like to talk about that we haven't really said anything about that you've read? Mm-hmm. Oh, Len, with the good, good question. question. Hmm. Johnny, I'm a professional beef. Johnny Insight. If you would have been at the production meeting today, you would have. You, you know what I would like? Um, it, it, invited kind of to those meetings, thing. please. <laughs> Henry still hasn't emailed me about that yet. Um, right. I, I would like to actually talk more about the Green Mile at some point. I know we've all read it, but the thing with the Green Mile is um, I thought the, mo- the movie was far better than the book as a whole, um, which surprised I know that I know that happens with Stephen King stuff, but this this was like I was I was really surprised at how much better the movie was. So that, that's something I would want to explore a little bit more, I think. How about you, Beef? You have anything? Let me say something while Beef's thinking. Yeah. You know, what, you know what I did, I think, with different seasons? I think what happened with me in that book was I read, I know I read The Body, and I'm pretty sure I read App Pupil and Rita Hayworth, but I think my, yeah, the brother, breathing method is, my brother moved yeah. out of the house and took it, so I never read the fourth one. <laughs> yeah, The Breathing Method. So I'll have to read that one. Yeah, I really like different seasons. Um, you know, I've only read one of the Backman books, which is <laughs> as if he didn't write enough books. He wrote a bunch of sh- short novels under a pseudonym. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm only putting out three novels a year. What am I, lazy? I need to do more. <laughs> um, the only one I've read, I haven't read. Uh, I think his most famous one is, well, The Running Man's pretty famous. Um, which I never read and thinner also, which I also haven't read, but um, the long walk, which uh, was written in 79. Uh, I definitely enjoyed. And, that's one uh, that's an, you would call that an underrated one. People don't talk about that one. Yeah. Long walk. yeah. Uh, it, it was good. I, uh, I liked it. And if, uh, and I, you know, that's one where I saw it in a, uh, a bookstore and uh, it was kind of in the bargain bin, but it was still, I, I was like Richard Backman. That's, that's a shorter one though, too, right? Yeah, it's it doesn't seem all that short, um, but uh, it, it, yeah, it definitely qualifies as a a short novel. I mean, by and we're talking Stephen King, <laughs> you know, short. standards. Yeah. yeah. Um, short. Yeah, but that's right on, one last question. Which one do you want to read next of his that you haven't read? I, I got to finish eleven twenty two sixty three. I don't know when I will, but I, I can't wait because it's so good. I, have, I want, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I want to read either. Um, I've been curious about Cycles of the Werewolf. I've never heard anything about that, but. What, read it and then watch the classic Corey Haim film, <laughs> Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet. Uh, I've heard that the the uh, closing credit song is a masterpiece. <laughs> it must be experienced <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> the patio theater, right? Um, yeah, I, I've, I'm curious about. Um, or he wrote two books with Peter Straub. Uh, I think one of them is called The Talisman. Hmm. Yeah, 
And did I'm you ever read uh, I was curious Ghost about Story that. by Peter Straub? Uh, I've never read any Peter Straub. That's a great book. And yeah. they made a movie out of that one. John Hausman's in it. That is book's it, terrifying. Is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have I, I have a lot of Stephen King books I haven't read just because, you know. Because you read serious uh, literature and not this <laughs> trash horror. But the Dark Tower, I've always wanted to read. I got to yeah. start with the first one. First Bag one's weird. Bones, Bag of Bones, which is a book I've had forever, and I was dying to read it, and I just haven't gotten to it. I got it in 1998. Yep. <laughs> and uh, um, Revival is one of his books that sounds really good that came out not that long. Yeah, ago. yeah. But, I mean, I, I would read almost any of his stuff because – most of the time he he does a great job yeah Yeah. anything else we want to say before we wrap up our epic pod our stephen king length type podcast episode (laughs) (laughs) seven hours (laughs) part one well i I, thank thank you very much for inviting me to this this has really been nice to do with the two of you uh, let's do it again. We uh, there's so much more to talk about with Mr. King and his movies. Is, and uh, there you go. I know you and B both like James Elroy, who I'm not familiar with. Is, oh, who who oh. are some of your other favorite authors? People seem to like the literary ones. Our John Irving one did really well. Uh, J- James Elroy uh, is, he's, is he's magnificent, awesome. and 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 uh, Beeve and I have a personal story about James Elroy, which I would love to tell. Um, and James Elroy, like like um. It's for a classic. My my favorite classic American author is John Steinbeck. Um, Me too. I like I just, Steinbeck a lot. I really, really, really like Steinbeck. Um, and then, there, there, um, yeah, you know, I, I think that that's that. I'll I'll leave it at that. But is there uh, unless you're looking for other like uh, book writer or graphic novel writer, comic writer recommendation? No, it's so. just anything. Well, yeah. We'll have, you on, we'll, we'll have you on and do Elroy. He's great. He's so great. You could you could talk all, talk a whole lot about that. And, yeah, and LA Confidential. That's just that. Just start yeah. there. That book mm-hmm. is awesome. Or, I, even, I, uh, or even a movie. What about? I mean, we'll we'll talk off podcast, Colin. But it, it doesn't have to be books. It could be movies. You know, TV, whatever. He's another one who's like prolifically uh, written and adapted. Um, no, but and, I, mean, and, I mean, we can talk about like one of your favorite directors or. Oh sure, uh, actors or yeah, we'll have you cool. on again. Thank you. I, I agree even though it you. is a rigorous screening process, we use for our guests. <laughs> well, t- talk to to Henry Foot, my agent, about my booking <laughs> and availability and fee. And fee, oh man. Yes, we uh, we broke the bank on this last one. I hope we can afford you again. <laughs> well, executive producers Laura and uh, Darby Foot uh, got to credit them for their for making it happen. <laughs> Well done. Darby's all business. Indeed. Yes, she is. Well, uh, Len, what's on tap for uh, next week for uh, Jag Bags listeners? Very excited about this one. Let's say I'm going to ask Colin real quick. Yes. So next week, and I'm going to do a bracket about this. It's going to be what musical act rule the seventies without thinking what's your pick. Wait, like just band or music what do you mean musical act band or or individual music music act of the could 70s? Be a solo artist it could be a band who had the of best the, career in the seven just the 70s only best career in the 70s um for me this is personally it's boston 
love it. <laughs> my 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 runner up, like when when you said music acts, I, I immediately thought Kiss because yep. they're they're more acts than music, you know. Well, so, um, but I mean, I, I still love their music. But please, so uh, we're gonna have the hourglass, and I'm gonna have I'm gonna have ninety six. Oh my God! Go acts in this bracket. It's the Stephen King. Of, I'm gonna ask uh, a bracket as many as he can. The well, Dark Tower gonna, bracket. <laughs> first, we're gonna do our recaps. Then I'm gonna we're gonna put a little. We'll have our sand timer, and we're gonna see how many Beef can name, and we'll talk. Wow. About a little bit. Ooh. It's gonna be a challenge for Beef. Oh man. And a fun okay. bracket, I think. I think it's gonna be a really fun bracket. I'm, I'm gonna mess. I'm gonna mess this up. It's <laughs> you're gonna beat it. It's I'm part gonna be like, fun, though. I'm gonna be like the Supremes, <laughs> Duran Duran, <laughs> Elvis, Buddy Holly, Buddy yeah. Holly, yes, God damn it, Beethoven. I'm cracking up under the pressure. <laughs> you you you've made uh, a, a couple of brackets just on one or two 70s artists, I believe, Len. So, uh, oh, I've done a, a bunch. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, it'll be fun. So tune in next week for that. That should be a good one. Um, again, you know what to do. If you like our episodes, please rate us. Please subscribe to us. Please tell a friend or five uh, about the wonderful work that you hear on this podcast and the amazing guests that we have <laughs> to fill up your Peloton rides or jogs or whatever you do while you listen to podcasts. It might not have been this week. It probably wasn't this week, but there will be great, great guests of the week. Yes, we're going to have a stable. This is Colin is but the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> Exciting. Moving well, thank forward. you again. This is a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us tonight. And uh, when you're ready, put a little jag bags in your ear.